Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. And I'm Carl. So we got a couple of things to get into today. I want to start just right out with an Oscar talk. I know this is going about a week after the Oscars, but the way we record, we're not always going to be topical with the weekend things. Hopefully when the pandemic's over, the weekend won't be such a big time for all of this shit. <laughs> <laughs> like it never used to be other than movies, right? And you usually get a week on movies, but holy shit, like Disney Plus is just killing us. So of course, the Oscars last year had 24 million people people tune into the broadcast this year was 8 million. I think a lot of people are probably watching it on Hulu the next day, which just was not an option a couple years ago. And I would like to see those numbers, but I doubt Disney's ever going to give us that kind of numbers, just like Netflix never does. Take that with a grain of salt, but I do think this is probably the one that people have seen the least just because of the movies that are up. There was nothing big. Nothing to root for. I mean, there was... A few movies out there, but like I was looking through the list. I'm like, I haven't seen anything. Like I have nothing to root for. I saw like 20 of them. (laughs) But I know what you mean. Movie snob. I watch movies, dude. I don't know what to tell you. And they were almost all on streaming services this year. Either Amazon or Netflix or Hulu. It was pretty readily available if you cared about it. I had seen a lot of them earlier in the year. I kind of got a head start. And then I just did not feel the need to fucking pump myself up with everything that was coming up. But I did want to say a couple of things that happened. So the way that they did it, they put it in Grand Central Station and they had Questlove like DJing. They didn't have any live music. They hardly did any clips. They only did clips when it was something that was like visual that had to be shown. They'd have somebody present like four Oscars in a row, basically. And I thought it worked better. To be honest, I really, really enjoyed it. And I don't think the average person is going to like it. But all the shit that always irritates me in an Oscar show, it was gone. Like the host making terrible jokes, gone. Musical that goes nowhere, gone. The fucking clips to Westerns for no reason. Like, we're just honoring Westerns this year. Gone. Like, all of that shit that takes forever was just gone. And the broadcast was about two and a half hours when you cut out commercials, which is actually shorter than a lot of them. Usually they go about three plus. It was definitely quicker getting to the stuff. They talked about the performances and the people and... It was kind of more focused on the people that won that went up and talked about it. So I really enjoyed the way they did this. I don't think they'll do it again, but I kind of liked it. And I liked that almost everybody in the audience was up for an Oscar. It was the people that you wanted to see in the room, not just like a bunch of seat fillers and things like that. And it was interesting because anybody not paying attention, it was so obvious right away. (laughs) And So there's some interesting reactions. Frances McDermott, when she won the Best Picture Oscar, because she was one of the producers for Nomadland, she went up there and she like howled at the end of it, just out of nowhere. And then they cut to Joel Cohen. No reaction whatsoever. And I was like, that's a fucking weird response that I kind of enjoy. And there was like a lot of little moments like that. But of course, the shit show was at the end which was everybody expected Chadwick Boseman to win Best Actor. And for some reason, they staggered that to the end of the show. They gave Best Picture before Best Actress and Best Actor. And so, like, it was already kind of weird, but it was like, all right, whatever. Like, I think they wanted to, like 
hand it off to Chadwick Boseman and make the end of the show about a moment for him. And then Anthony Hopkins won, which was super fucking awkward. But then to like throw gasoline on the fire, he wasn't there. Everybody else was like in Europe or in New York or something like this. And they would have a live camera on them and they would talk. They just had a photo of Anthony Hopkins. And then they just immediately cut to Questlove, like DJing them out. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like it was genuinely shocking when you watch uh, it was really weird. And I didn't see either of those performances. So I'm not going to speak to whether it was deserved or not. I don't know. But it was pretty interesting. But the thing I actually wanted to talk about was <laughs> so Trent Reznor won his, I think, second Oscar. Trent Reznor yeah. lost. No, he won and lost. <laughs> like he lost to himself. That he is lost. true. Yeah. Trent Reznor lost. He lost for Mank and won for destined, Soul. He was destined to lose no matter what. So I was kind of looking it up because I was curious because when he went up he never spoke the guy that nobody knows did the speech and you could tell was it John Baptiste or I don't know the guy's name but he was up there with Atticus Ross and this other guy and the guy like starts out with the speech about how like there's 12 notes and and music and and when just this giant conversation that kind of was inspiring at first and then kept going and going and going and it was funny because you look over at Trent Reznor and he's just like kind of like like doesn't seem to care one way or the other like just very nonplussed but the whole time the guy's speaking you can see Atticus Ross over his left shoulder and Atticus Ross looks worried and then looks pissed because he clearly wanted to get up to the mic and say something and didn't get a chance because this dude like just kept rolling until they turned the microphone off <laughs> like he just kept going and going but Trent Reznor's reaction kind of interested me and so I went back and looked when he won his other Oscar and I don't think he spoke during that one either and didn't care And then I went back to the Grammys and there was like almost no reaction when he won Grammys at all. And then I went to the Emmys and he let another guy speak for him at the Emmys. People are going to start talking again about him being close to an EGOT because he won another Oscar, although he's technically as close as he was last year. He's got three of the four, right? He's got three of the four. Did he get the Emmy for Watchmen? Yes, he won it for that. So Hmm. what's really interesting to me is I don't think he's going to go for the Tony. I honestly truly don't think he cares and I can't imagine there's going to be a Tony project that he would want to jump in where he'd have to keep showing up and playing music or something like that, you know? Because it would almost have to be something like that, right? Like if you're winning a music thing for the Tony, you're doing performances. So I don't think he's in that phase where he would want to go and do it night after night and I, I think he would only do that if he cared about getting an EGOT. But that's not my question to you guys. My question to you guys is if he won an EGOT, would that actually tarnish his career with his fans? I don't think so, really. Not at this point. He's like a <laughs> respected dude now. What if he did a one-man show where he's just like... <laughs> you know what I think would be the most likely thing to happen would be if they made a soul musical like they did with Lion King. And he helped write music for it? Well, he's already written a bunch of music. If it's adapted and it's all licensed, he might still just get enough of the credit to just automatically, all the work he's already put in but might be enough to count him 
amongst the winners if it won a Tony. You've heard that soundtrack. Is there a single track that you could even sing to on that, though? Like, sing it feels to? like it's a lot well, of it's dissonant all, tones. It's all instrumental. You can't, what do you mean sing to? Well, I mean, if it's going to be on stage, like if they're adapting Soul for a stage, it's going to be a musical. You and know? it's going to borrow, a, it's going to rely probably more heavily on the John Batista stuff. Yeah, I think so. It's got a combination of both. And his stuff designed to be more atmospheric, and it was the soundtrack of primarily the soundtrack of the the below or whatever they great called it before i mean it depends on how it got written but i'm just saying that that's probably the shortest path the quickest and easiest path would be to take a hugely successful animated feature that disney owns and just make a broadway production of it you know okay. and then it could win any number of things and he could be up on stage with them and then be like did it check <laughs> Let's say he does that though, and but he's like yeah. very hands on. Like he's clearly, clearly going for that Tony. Sure, like there's no question about it. You don't think that there would be pushback from like Generation Xers? They're too apathetic. <laughs> <laughs> They used to care about not caring, but now they don't even care about that. They're, yeah. just, they're just weary now. They're tired. That's true because I'm technically in the last year of Generation X and I am pretty they're tired too of lethargic the thing. to do anything about it. They may have feelings about it, but they're not even going to tweet about it. That's fair. Extras don't tweet. That makes sense to me. All right. <laughs> so we got the answer. Then. So it was John T- Baptiste that was the one you were talking about. He okay, is. Okay, I still don't know who he is. <laughs> so he is the head musician for uh, Stephen Colbert's show. Okay. A late Band show. leader. Yeah. yeah. I've watched it three times <laughs> ever. <laughs> He's pretty solid. Because I usually watch Colbert's show on YouTube. The next day I'll watch his monologue. And then if they do the, the quarantine while segment i'll watch that and usually when the on youtube when they're taping the show it comes back from commercial and then usually uh stephen colbert has a quick interview with john baptiste and then they go into that segment so that's where i know him from mostly okay yeah nothing changed for me i still didn't know who that dude was when i saw him talking <laughs> Fair enough. and i kind of wanted to hear atticus ross talk because i've never heard him talk and when i looked at him he looked like a claymation british guy <laughs> i don't know like he's just just take a look at him at some point like he looks like he's made out of clay like okay. <laughs> like he would be wearing a monk's robe or something in a british claymation short i don't know that's up for best short animated short sounds good yeah sounds like oscar worthy my stuff's not quite so oscar worthy so i uh read an interview today uh with Doug Allen, who was one of the producer writers for Entourage, and he did a uh, interview recently talking about how Entourage is probably like the bastard child of HBO right now. The writer of the article kind of interjected like the PC cancel culture. Oh, it was one of those interviews. Yeah. Okay. Kevin Dillon and Doug Allen do a podcast with like 100,000 subscribers. And they was asked about it. And HBO is kind of trying to distance themselves from Entourage. I mean, even though when Entourage had its main run, it was probably one of the more popular shows on there. Yeah, for sure. At least for like the first three or four seasons. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel like it tails off after that. You know, they did green light the movie, but it didn't live up to 
Ellen's expectations, but I think it did what it was going to do. How many HBO movies do you think were actually as successful as hoped for? I'm guessing the first Sex and the City movie, and that's it. Like, Sex and the City 2 was... And 3 were awful. They made a third one? Yeah. What are (laughs) HBO movies? Just a movie that they put out in theaters that's based off of an HBO property. How many are there? Sex and the City is an HBO property? Oh, yeah. The sex part especially, you only could have done it on HBO at the time. Okay, so there was like two Sex and the City movies. There was an Entourage movie. I feel like there was something else that I'm not thinking of. They almost did a Game of Thrones movie, but then they decided to disappoint everybody with a final Uh, season. (laughs) There was a Mr. Show movie, Run, Ronnie, Run. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I don't know if HBO produced it, but I would count it. It's definitely based off of an HBO thing. On this week's Comedy Bang Bang, Scott Ackerman brought it up, the movie Run, Ronnie, Run, because they mentioned one of the other people mentioned Run, Lola, Run. And he's like, you know, I wrote, co-wrote on this movie, Run, Ronnie, Run. And I'm just now realizing that that is a play on Run, Lola, Run. (laughs) Yeah, I never put that together either. (laughs) You realized it momentarily before I did. (laughs) Yeah, like 10, 15 minutes later or years later. (laughs) It was like 99. Did you see that one? Run, Ronnie, Run? Yes. Yes. How about it's you, Brandon? It's been a while. Yeah, I've seen it's been that. a long yeah. time. I don't really remember anything about I it. I really like it, and it <clears> bums <throat> me out that everybody involved with it hates it. Scott Thompson, does he play, like, the head of the gay mafia? Conspiracy? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good character. The, they're, they're part of the gay conspiracy to turn everybody gay. And Scott Patrick <laughs> Warburton, too, is he in it? I don't remember him in it, but there's so many cameos I wouldn't doubt it. people that yeah. are in that movie. The thing that always sticks out to me is when they're doing the infomercial and they have this blender that clearly doesn't work right. And Bob Odenkirk's trying to, like, run it. And then this blade flies out and strikes this woman in the throat. <laughs> She's like, ah! And they have Brian Poussein is, like, editing it. And he just keeps it on this loop where he goes, oh! Oh, like over and over again. And he's like, I think that could hurt sales. And he's like, hopefully. You got a good brand for saying. Oh, yeah. And they had, uh, what's his face from The Princess Bride, who, uh, Inigo Montoya. Like, uh, he's also an opera singer. I can't think of the guy's name right now. but uh, Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, yes. Mandy Patinkin. They have him. Y'all are brutalizing me. Like, he does the musical for Ronnie. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> It's a great movie. Let's go back to inferior things. Entourage. Entourage. <laughs> so he was talking about Sex and the City's getting a reboot. And even on HBO Max, like, it's buried in, in their show. It's like... I mean, it basically got remade with The Rock and retitled as Ballers. Ballers. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same show. So what... Are your thoughts on the show Entourage looking at through 2021 eyes? I feel like we occasionally hit this over the years in podcasts and my thought has not evolved on it, which is I think it's aged extremely poorly. Um, I think there's elements of it that were way ahead of time and that are absolutely hitting now. But I think Entourage as a franchise is dead and you're not going to be able to resurrect it. It just has too much stink on it for like the douchey stuff. Yeah. Like the stuff. Stuff with the women in bikinis and all of that. Like, that stuff has made it so that, like, that show 
show just it's it's toxic now. And then Jeremy Renner, which you told me outside, Jeremy was, Piven, or excuse me, Jeremy Piven got me too, which I somehow missed that when it happened. And I don't know how you do Entourage without Ari. Yeah, and, like he's definitely um, a pivotal role in that show. And that's the part of the show that actually worked. Giving you a glimpse behind what was happening in movies. Yeah. You know, like the whole stuff with like him becoming Aquaman, for example, and then throwing away Aquaman 2 and getting destroyed by the Harvey Weinstein stand-in. And then like him going to self-finance his own project, Medellin, where he's playing uh, <laughs> Pablo Escobar and having it flame out spectacularly. <laughs> Like, all of that stuff was absolutely gold. The problem was, is everything else about the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and every time they stepped away from the stuff that was about the backstages of Hollywood and focused on the sex, it, like destroyed the show a little bit more to the point of where it was really not relevant by the last season of the show and i was utterly shocked when there was a movie because it was like really like that thing just like crawled over the finish line yeah when it was out yeah i don't i don't think it's viable to do this if he's trying to revive it no um the only thing i could see is if you know they did a serious time jump and like dealing with repercussions of what they did 10, 15 years ago, like, and how they're navigating through Hollywood now, I think could be interesting. But I think there's just so much toxic baggage with that. It's It'll be a real hard sell. I think that there would be interesting stories to be had there if they decided to take that route. The problem is, I don't think that A, would be willing to take that route. And B, you've lost <laughs> Jeremy Piven. And if you try and bring back Jeremy Piven, it's not going to be okay. Okay. And I just don't think it can survive that. Like he was the star of the show. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see any way that this works. And I didn't watch it beginning to end. I watched, you know, half a season here, half a season there. Once I finally got to the end, it, it just like never felt like anything I needed to like see beginning to end. So I never really got back. And then I I watched the movie mostly out of curiosity to see where they could go with it. But it's not something that I am clamoring for. But I thought there was a couple of interesting points. Actually, one thing he did talk about, he was looking at rewriting and then basically doing Hollywood now and doing different characters. So that might have a chance. But if you're doing that, do something and don't call it Honorage. Going through Hollywood. Call it Ballers the Next Generation. (laughs) (laughs) It seems like Ballers is okay. I I don't know. I couldn't watch it. I was like, ugh, this is Entourage. And I watched it. I have never watched a minute of that show. They made that guy from The Daily Show so goddamn unlikable that I've never liked him since. Which guy? He's uh, bald. Rod Cordry. Yeah, Rob oh, Cordry. Right. That's kind of all he does these days is play a guy that you want to just punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, and I felt like that wasn't his deal on The Daily Show, but that's no. definitely his deal now. But like in Hot Tub Time Machine, like he definitely wanted to punch him. Like, on community. I mean, he was funny, yeah. but like he's just a despicable like. He's very character. You're right. <laughs> well, what do you got, Carl? I got two things. SNL made a controversial choice for their host this week. No, because that's May 8th is that episode. It's this coming Saturday. 
And if it doesn't come out till Monday, I thought it was this. I'm pretty sure it's this coming Saturday that it happens. Elon Musk is the host. He's been peddling misinformation <coughs> about the vaccine. And he's been just kind of a general fucking weirdo for a long time. But he's got this appeal and there are people that really stand by him. You know, whatever. More power to you. Have your heroes. Having him as a host. It's a thing that they've done historically in the past to like occasionally like hey guys on the the right we're not your enemy we're willing to like entertain these certain people that you guys put up on pedestals and like bring them here they brought that country guy back after he fucking was stupid snl is this iconic show so it like is a symbolic gesture on behalf of the left the liberal comedy media yeah i don't buy that saturday night live cannot claim that i don't care they what don't, their, i don't care just, what their personal politics <clears throat> are they had mccain on to host they've had so many republicans on that show they, they used to be so way many, more frequent and it's dropped off a lot it's dropped off because of trump and now yeah, they're like doing they, trump, they got <clears throat> shot in the foot with trump because but, they took so much heat about it now the people that they're struggling to keep that they think are worth keeping and are worth reaching out to are like the joe rogan crowd yeah that's what i think that's, that's why i think like that's why i think they picked elon musk as a host is because of that and i really just hope that elon musk has a decent sense of humor about himself and that he's willing to let them make jokes at his expense and not just not use him or you know maybe they could not use him i watch snl for the cast more than the guests i hope he flames out spectacularly and just does terrible they, like i yeah. really do hope it's the the best possible that's, outcome and that's, is that it's bad sure that's a uh that's a reasonable thing to want um i've seen this many times so the first Saturday Night Live I ever watched was the 15th anniversary special and it was on during prime time and so my mom let me watch it and then I just immediately got hooked and so I wanted to watch it the next week and it was Andrew Dice Clay and Ooh. she was like oh I hate Andrew Dice Clay but she like she realized she had just like sold Saturday Night Live to me so much that she had to let me stay up and watch it and so I got to watch Andrew Dice Clay as my first one and it was crazy dude like the audience was just not happy with him half the time. And there was so many people protesting the show. And it seems like they do this every four or five years. They just get somebody super controversial. And not just like somebody who's controversial with like one little section of society. Like somebody's Within like controversy cast, with like the cast and half protest. of the people, right? Like There are folks in the cast that supposedly have like made veiled remarks about the choice. And it the article that I I read read a hundred percent like bullshit blowing tweets out of proportion and just like projecting onto the tweets you know it was stupid i'm not like excited for elon musk to host because i'm a fan of his and i even read this thread the other just yesterday about teslas and how they're kind of a uh, a cheap product that is marketed at a luxury price point one of the things that's jumped out at me had to do with the fact that if you get a dent in the undercarriage that you can't hammer out, your car is totaled because the electronics are literally welded into the undercarriage. And if you remove the undercarriage, you have to rip all the electronics out and it just destroys the whole car. Kind of dumb stuff like that, that other car companies that also have electronic cars have fixed these problems and don't have the same issues, but they just 
just like they're one of those companies that anytime there's negative things happen, they just sweep it under the rug and just keep pushing that PR campaign of how great Teslas are. One of the biggest things, too, is that for every 100 cars sold, there's 250 complaints, which means that each every person on average, a person has two and a half complaints serious enough to call the number and be like, what the fuck, you know? (laughs) <laughs> but whatever if you like tesla's more power to you um i wanted to go backward on something you said so you were talking about how there was maybe casts were throwing shade a little bit at elon musk so i will say when andrew dice clay was on the show i think jan hooks walked off the show for a week she just said i'm not going to be on the show and so victoria jackson did all the heavy lifting and i remember she kind of made a joke about it on the show but i don't know if you guys are familiar with her now but she's like super hardcore conservative yeah, yeah she so it kind of makes sense looking back. She was fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first domino right there. It might have been. Yeah. <laughs> well, she had she had a weekend update thing where she was like celebrating because she married a cop on weekend update with Kevin Nealon. So I remember her doing cartwheels and stuff and being like, I married a cop. Weird. So, yeah, I think there was a lot of stuff we just didn't see in yeah. the 90s. <laughs> we just didn't realize where it was going. So the other little quick thing that I had that. We don't need to spend all that much time on, if any at all, is that apparently Hulu has greenlit a spinoff of How I Met Your Mother. Oh. How I Met Your Father, uh, executive produced, or at least co-produced, and starring Hilary Duff as the mother that is explaining how she (laughs) met their father. And, Sorry, uh, I just didn't enjoy this. So it's much. an interesting. Is it narrated by Jessica Simpson? No, there's <laughs> no. Uh, they haven't announced any other cast. Although they have, what I read about it talked about how when How I Met Your Mother was still on, they had pitched uh, a spinoff at the time that was ultimately not picked up, and it starred Greta Gerwig as the the girl and she was narrated by meg ryan spoiler alert that's not happening (laughs) that's not the version that got greenlit that never got greenlit officially but this has been greenlit and is going to happen it's going to be 10 episodes and it's going to come out probably in a year or two and uh i just think it's a funny choice the guys that created how i met your mother i mean that show was one of the number one or two it was number one for a while yeah yeah and it ran nine seasons and then the guys that created it went and did This Is Us, which itself was critically acclaimed and super popular. And I didn't watch a second of it and don't care about it. But whatever. I guess that Sterling K. Brown guy I like is in it. So that's good for him. I, I've been seeing these weird articles that are like, here are some things from the original show that we want to see get referenced in the in the spinoff. And this was the like one of the worst lists I've ever seen where they were... <laughs> Trying to bring back all sorts of dumb shit. I mean, I would think if it's it's gonna have to be separate, right? Like they're not different story. Well, it's start. It's the mother is flashing back to 2021. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's got to be a different story. So this idea that you're like carrying over things. I know. Well, that's the thing. Like there are certain things that you could have them stop by McLaren's, for example. Or there was this creature that was like half cockroach, half mouse, a cockamouse. 
and they want to like see the cockamouse or more likely a something similar you know, like another version that's like the spin-off version. You this sounds to... horrible to me. <laughs> this, everything about this Probably. sounds horrible to me. But I like a good train wreck in this <laughs> one. Should get there. You do like a good train wreck. <laughs> I'm on For board. sure. It's interesting. Just being our age, we certainly had to watch train wrecks whether we wanted to or not. If you had TV on, there was just certain times where it was like, you're going to have to watch something you don't want to watch. And yeah. so you start hate watching things. And then it's interesting because like after that we have all the choice in the world so it's just like kind of a matter of what you choose to do with that now yeah like i choose to not hate watch things anymore except for if it's for a podcast well i don't (laughs) for example i'm doing man of steel (laughs) for a cosmic void i usually don't hate watch things at first it kind of turns into that i start to hate something but then i'm still i'm invested in the story at a certain point like it happened to me with true blood yeah i started hate watching true blood because like as much as i hated to admit it i wanted to see how it was all gonna turn out you know that's interesting yeah. i watched and the I, first season and thought it was fantastic once upon a time and then I it lost me in the second watching. season and but both of them i successfully gave up before the show itself ended so I beat the I beat the hate watch in Once Upon a Time, and I beat the hate watch. I had to hate watch Dexter because of Amanda. I, I also successfully I told, yeah. quit that one. I, I, I oh, would have I, quit. I, I was out in the fifth season. Like I watched three episodes of the fifth season, and yep. I was out. And yeah. Amanda kept dragging me back in, <laughs> like the mob with Al Pacino and Godfather Three. So and see, yeah. that's it's different from like there's these shows that I like that are I know are trash, but I don't hate watch them i genuinely enjoy them for some reason like what show carl lost girl oh okay i thought i thought you were gonna say something else that is See? not trash that's fun <laughs> we'll say it like you would say it no you have to earn, you're trying to trick me so the the show that comes to mind for me would be like arrow where like all those couples seasons like the first two seasons of arrow are solid the entire arrowverse falls under that can i well they all start strong and then diminishing returns that's what i was gonna say because i'm watching superman and lois right now oh it's gonna fucking let you down but i'll tell you what dude it's the strongest start of a cw show so see i remember like you saying that about flash and it did it also that was the previous strongest start of a cw show the flash also was like like season one was was good, it, and then season getting, two was better. Yeah, but then season three was like, it, it let's just off they completely that. did not come up with a new direction. They just rehashed everything all yeah. over. Yeah, and it and just it seems and, like they've been doing that last four seasons. And I fully expect that to happen with Superman and Lois. But I do want to say, so far, I've watched the first four episodes. It's pretty good. Like it's it's pretty worth it so far. And that one's on. HBO Max. You can find it on HBO Max for a little bit, and then they're yanking it. Gotcha. So, but it's probably on the CW app. I, I think that's usually free how they with do that. commercials. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of. But if you, <laughs> if you watch it on a, there is a lot. There's a lot, a lot. Like it's unbearable for me to use that app. But if apparently if you use it with a web browser on a computer and you have a really good ad blocker, it just takes those commercials right out and streams the episodes without any interference whatsoever. Nice. I will say it feels like a lot on CW, but also the shows are like 
49 minutes with the commercials yeah. and they're an hour otherwise. So they're still giving you less. It's just that I'm so used to watching things without commercials that it's like, ah! <laughs> no, yeah. YouTube's the one that's been really getting me lately. Like, <laughs> well, you know, it's, <laughs> what's funny too is like, uh, I keep seeing these anti-vaping and anti-smoking The ones. truth ones. And I think to myself, like ads are supposed to encourage the user to Stop. pay for the subscription so they go away. And that means that they're like, they're more, it's more important for them that they successfully <coughs> get revenue for the company so that by turning them over to subscriptions, then they care about actually getting people to quit smoking. You know, well, let's the, go a little bit further on that. specifically is owned pays, by. Who pays for those smoking ads? Truth specifically, it's paid for by Philip Morris. Yeah, they're all paid for yeah. by the cigarette so companies. So truth is, and you know, the message is not necessarily bad. Shouldn't smoke, but, but they make them in a way but where those it turns people, people specifically. Off of the, yeah, actually, the, the new run good. of truth is a lot better than you know they used to. Re I remember like early two thousands, they used to have like people like with bullhorns like laying down. This is how many people die every yeah. day smoking oh, cigarettes. God. Way more. Yeah, I just had to blow out your. <laughs> pots there it's gonna hurt everybody's ears <laughs> they were a lot more like karen about it but they're less of the, karen. the new now one is actually cool. a lot more like i decided to quit smoking and then like have a guy like you know i'm here with you we're doing this so i think they've gotten better well they don't have anything good to say about vaping either they're like their new thing with the anti-vaping is like we wanted to show you how much damage metals you could be oh, inhaling. Yeah, so we one. created giant metal monsters with CGI to show you <laughs> what's going to kill you. Got to keep you on your toes. And then since we had that on the program already, we like cut and pasted it and put it on Superman and Lois. So <laughs> we're saving money for the app here. Yeah. The last two or three weekends Saturday nights, I usually have a beer too, and maybe a glass of whisk. A glass of whisk, like, whiskey. Whisk. Oh, okay. I whisk. thought you like melted down like Crisco? a whisk, a wire whisk, whisk. like that you would whisk. that you would mix up eggs or something with. Yeah, we're going real hardcore. <laughs> Drinking whisks. Well, I work with whisks, so yeah. it, it means something to me. <laughs> anyway, so I uh, have a few drinks, and then I ended up usually end up on YouTube, and then kids and wife go to bed. So I plug my headphones into the controller, so I'm not keeping anybody up. And I've fallen down a YouTube rabbit hole the last couple of weeks, and it's mostly reaction videos. And what I mean by that is people will watch or listen to album, song, video for the first time. And basically, it's just usually people in headphones bobbing along and Dark Side of the Moon's playing in the background, which I think is my main draw to it is like, it's a way I can listen to the stuff I'd normally listen to. But then usually at the end of the end of when they listen to it, they usually give a review on it. And one I've been listening to quite a bit is Jamel, aka Jamal, who's our age or just a little bit younger. And he's a black man from California. He actually works at the Staples Center. I already don't like this guy. Yeah, actually, <laughs> most of the time is there he's some wearing... sports related thing. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't care. <laughs> yeah. 
So a lot of times he's like, I've heard this so many times, like, because he works security for like concerts and stuff. I'm like, I've heard this a few times, but I never like, usually I'm working, so I don't get to like actually oh, so hear so he was it. listening to Serious by uh, Alan Parsons Project. <laughs> <laughs> Because that one plays all the time. It's the one that goes. They always played it at basketball games for the last 35 or so years. Not and whenever I was there. Yeah, it was all that. And, uh, and then there, it, there's the other Alan Parsons project. It's uh, Well, that one goes right into their most famous song, which is Eye in the Sky. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it literally bleeds right into it but they're technically different songs and they just play the opening bars from it. And then everybody was like, that's the Chicago Bulls theme. It's like, yeah. And every fucking other NBA team, cause they all play the same yeah. music. <laughs> What's wrong with, uh, them associating that song with your favorite team. There's nothing wrong with the that. The Chicago problem is Bulls. they do it with the Chicago Bulls. And you, the LA wore Lakers. Those, you wore those Jordans for quite a while. Dude, the only people who are really truly Bulls fans are in Chicago. Everybody else, Else was like, well, yeah, when Jordan was shut the fuck up, you're not a Bulls fan. You wore those, you, wore <laughs> you those just glommed on to get six trophies. <laughs> That's all it was. And then they went to whoever won the championship after that. I like Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, never played for the Bulls. He's In fact, shark. quick tangent <laughs> Muggsy Bogues' career was legendarily destroyed by Michael Jordan. I'm not making this up. This is a true story. Michael Jordan made a bunch of cracks about his height, which he was used to all the time, but they were working together on Space Jam. And Michael Jordan just started on a roll and kept going and got the crew laughing at him and stuff. And then Muggsy Bogues was in his head about it for a year or two and just, and then just quit. He's just like, I'm tired of it i think everybody's looking at me for my height like nobody appreciates me like fuck this i'm out he has said multiple times it was because of jordan it was just jordan being there and he was used to like tuning out the crowd saying stuff but when jordan was there with like all of the crew laughing at him and just kept doing it he just felt so bullied he just fucking gave up really really made a mark on him and he quit so just want to say like well you're the one that wore jordans for like a year so (laughs) i did because you bought them for me and i'm cheap (laughs) and i don't want those kids who had to sew their hands together in korea to have done it for nothing you needed new shoes it was your birthday and they're your favorite team (laughs) i'm gonna let that one slide just for the sake of moving on (laughs) it was funny i will give you that it was very funny and i think everybody was literally like don't do that to you weren't they (laughs) Well, they cost like $120. <laughs> yeah, and there's a recurring joke on New Girl where they do pranks and like Jake Johnson's character, Nick Miller, he is like the master pranker and he does insane shit and he'll like rack up a bill for the overall for the prank of like $1,200. And I was just like... <laughs> I thought to myself at one point, like, Nick Miller can spend $1,200 on a prank on a bartender's salary. (laughs) (laughs) Then surely I can buy a $120 pair of shoes as a prank on a baker's salary. (laughs) 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 Not that different. I I will admit, it was pretty funny. And I think I was the only one I thought it was funny, too. It's like, who cares if anybody else likes it or not? Because we were the two people that mattered. Yeah. But didn't you, like, tell several people you were going to do that trying to get people to like chip in and everybody was like don't do that yeah i did well i i was mostly just
just sitting at the no sweat planning this out out loud and trying to not have to spend so much money. <laughs> Understandably. You but know, nobody it, you, bit. Hit, you hit up the wrong people because I would have chipped in on that. I should have just... <laughs> I should have just like – As much as like I hate my thought of my money going to Air Jordans, like this is worth it. If we were all uh, – if we were all in a bigger city, we would all have Venmo and I would be able to just send out like a mass request for five bucks and like pay for the whole thing. Yeah. But you live in Helena, Montana where people are like, what's Venmo? Yeah. They don't know what that shit is. <laughs> so what were the albums this guy listened to? So – He's listened to quite a bit of stuff. YouTubers that I got into, everybody that starts out a channel that does this starts out with Pink Floyd. Almost huh. every single one like starts it, out with Pink Floyd. It kind of makes sense because Genesis. Well, I feel like Pink Floyd is the most universally accepted classic rock band. They're <laughs> they're the most like vanilla. Well, okay. So like the Beatles are loved, but it's kind of it, like, it, like it's kind of become identified with boomers. But like Pink Floyd posters, you still see them up it's kind of everywhere. A, and they're kind of they're counterculture. Yeah. Like, at least they were for they they still are. I mean, he was our uh Roger Waters was throwing like concerts in Mexico to like interrupt Trent's wall and stuff like Roger Waters is not a founding member, is he? No. Yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> he don't... left after the final cut, like the album After the Wall. The one who's not a founding member who's still in them is who's a guitarist? David Gilmore. David Gilmore. Yeah, David Gilmore is not the founding he member. He replaced Sid Barrett? He replaced Sid Barrett because Sid Barrett was always frying on acid and couldn't hold it together he to wound even do up a show. In a total recluse. Yes. He went yeah. to a mental institution for a while. He spent he released two albums from total seclusion they're very bad yeah they are thank yeah. you thank you because i always hear people talk about like yeah it's really weird but it's good dude the most I, it felt no, unlistenable the, the greatest contribution sid barrett made to music he inspired the album wish you were here wish you were here he, he inspired yeah. elements <laughs> His, he of was their like three biggest he albums. broke he couldn't function and broke down <clears throat> and let the whole band down and they wrote about how bad they felt about it and it was fucking artistic if no, he I hadn't mean, had no, that meltdown we wouldn't have that no album. you could almost say like dark side of the moon the wall and it's a shame wish you were here yeah, exactly all, all three of those albums like, he wrote the, for all of them well, well not for wish you were here but he wrote for the a bunch of them adam Hartmother, and he wrote for he wrote an Uma album Guma. and a half with pink floyd and that was it Uma Guma, he wrote their first one and I don't remember what it was that might Piper have been. at the Gates of Dawn. Yeah, Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And the, well, Relics is a combination of their first two albums. Right. And then whatever their second album was, he wrote half of it. And then he had the meltdown and David Gilmore came in and finished it up. Dark Side of the Moon, like the elements of madness that are written about, that's about right. Sid Barrett. Yeah. And Wish You Were Here is completely about Sid Barrett. And uh, The Wall is off of elements of Sid Barrett. It's kind of a combination between Roger Waters feeling like he was alienated from the fans at stadium shows and like watching Sid Barrett have a meltdown. And See, then they kind of work cut it off when it comes to the what I like to listen to for Pink Floyd. And I am I do what I like, I like, you know. But like I like the early, early stuff. I like Uma Guma. That's my favorite album. And I like and Yeah, that, I like that one too. And that it's weird. 
It's got some weird and long tracks that are just long and crazy and weird. I really like yeah. metal and uh, metal's a great album. Animals yeah. is like I animals is tough for me. <laughs> See, I, I enjoy, I've actually enjoyed animals lately more, and it actually stems like uh, Roger Water did a concert in Mexico in 2017 or 2018. Basically, he tweaked the stage show uh, for uh, pigs three different ones to be all about trump and like had this huge like balloon with trump face so instead of having the pink floaty pig balloon that they always did but they like mashed that together with like trump's face sounds like a roger waters thing to do yeah that's uh honestly as much as i dislike trump that would be a pink floyd show i would want to miss was it Pink Floyd or was it just Roger Waters? It's probably just, it was just Roger Waters. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what they, you're going to get. I think they've played together point. once in like the last 40 years. <laughs> I went to a laser Pink Floyd laser show at, in Bozeman at the Planetarium. Was, <laughs> I went to a few sweet. of those. Uh, yep. I don't Either like, of you ever sober going to one of those? I don't remember. <sighs> So probably not. Yes. I went to Hendrix Laser Show sober because I was in fourth grade and they came to our school. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I uh, I know I've been to the Laser Led Zeppelin sober and I'm pretty sure I've been to Pink Floyd right on wrong. both sides of the fence. <laughs> yeah. I feel like going to it sober is wrong. Just, <laughs> I mean, I was at a high school it's field lasers, trip, man. It's yeah, radical. Yeah, lasers were developed by hippies to get high with and watch on ceilings and listen to Pink we're Floyd. Like, like cats, we're such cats. We're... <laughs> All right, let's, all right. So let's get let's back cut to, to the our chase here. Okay, so give us the highlights of what he said. Going back to Jamal, aka Jamal, giving his perspective on videos that are mainly white artists but from a black man's perspective and just commenting on musically was interesting so i kind of went through his like archive of stuff and i found uh he did uh young turks by rod uh stewart it's rod stewart yeah and he was watching that and it's funny because i i'm listening to it because i i enjoyed that song and then like he's talking about the guy in the background popping and locking like the one black guy in the video is like popping and locking in the background <laughs> honest to god i don't think i've ever seen a rod stewart video <laughs> i've seen a few of them like uh his cover of tom waits downtown train young turks and there was one of as uh, not important it, it's been interesting seeing like a different perspective on these videos the other thing that kind of got me inspired is i'm not doing just a reaction video i'm going to start a youtube channel within the next week or two called uh the beards audio bucket list so watching these videos kind of got me inspired but i wanted to do something different because i didn't want to just be another one of these guys so i am going to Actually, like, sit down in my chair and listen to all the vinyl I have because I have lots of vinyl I have probably never heard. Because I know, like, uh, Adrian from Montucky Skies podcast, like, he gave me a stack of stuff that I have never gotten to. So I'm going to be listening to a lot of that stuff. Also, and the other reason I'm doing this is so I went to the audiologist a couple weeks ago and found out I am basically going deaf. And so, I mean, I've lost some ranges up to 70% of my hearing. So I kind of wanted to like 
start out just listening to stuff I already own, but then like have people request stuff that I can listen to. Like before you go deaf, you need to hear this shit and listen to some of this stuff. So that's kind of why like part of the reason I'm going on this deep dive is like it actually inspired me to like create something. That's awesome, dude. I like that idea. Audio bucket list. The audio bucket list. Like, I already have suggestions. What's your suggestion? Uh, one of them is a Joanna Newsom song. Some long Gaelic word that's hard to pronounce. So, Sapa kind of coin, and then there's some Konami, and then when she sings it, she's got a lilt, and she's just, it's, fuck, this song will fucking change your world for like five minutes. So, that's the kind of stuff like, I want to hear, like, check out this Grateful Dead track that, like, was recorded this one time in this one place that, like, or this weird recording of eyes of the world or something that like sends you on a ride and you're like gets you to listen to all of it for a while i want you to listen to any track by compressor (laughs) (laughs) vitamins or compressor does not dance (laughs) or his version of uh compress want to get with you compressor want to get with you it's basically also your sister i think her name is Deborah. It's basically imagine if Bromstein was mentally ill and said compressor in every other line of their songs. <laughs> and instead of a metal band, it's, it was just a synthesizer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a compressor or uh K is for Bromstein version of uh Berserker off the clerk's soundtrack. It's kind of this <laughs> voice. It's, it's he sounds like like the lead singer Rammstein for sure. Yeah, he <laughs> talks in the broken German kind of way. This segment is brought to you by Clear Disposable Lighters. When someone takes your bick and you only have 49 cents or you need a crack torch on the go, make it a Clear Disposable Lighter. And now we take you to the Grateful Bread Videodrome located in downtown Valhalla. So we've <laughs> talked about this a lot on the porch. And I've decided to bring the porch conversation into the podcast conversation. So, handsome ham versus homely ham, which John Ham has a better career. Okay. So basically, the idea of this is like John Ham is super handsome and starts out when he hits the public consciousness as a leading man type and then clearly wants to go into comedy. And so he's got bit parts and a lot of comedy. We're going to examine his career first and then we're going to do this mental exercise, which is like, let's picture him with Steve Carell's nose and like, how does his career look like if he has Steve Carell's nose? Okay. So just kind of going over the career just to say, how he got here. He starts out in Mad Men. Everything he did before kind of inconsequential. I went through, there was nothing I'd ever heard of. It's a lot of comedies, a lot of dramas. Like he's always doing a bit part. After Mad Men, which is probably like a, I'd say a top 15 to 20 dramas in the 2000s. Does that sound fair? I was trying yeah. to not like overblow it, you know, but I feel like it's, it's somewhere. It's definitely cultural significant. Um, He basically, he shows he's got dramatic chops. He shows he can be a sex symbol. This is like a crossroads in his career I'm going to talk about now. So he hosts SNL in 2008 and then twice in 2010. His first show that he does, he shows he can do sketches, but like, They do the thing where he starts out and he's talking about Mad Men in the monologue. And he's saying, the question I get the most is AMC. Don't you mean A&E? And his first sketch is with Will Forte trick-or-treating at his house pretending to be a sex offender. It's a funny sketch, but like all John Hamm does is react to it. He doesn't get to do any comedy in it. Yeah, I think that would be 
like it was probably Will Forte. Mm-hmm. Yep, all Will Forte. Being a creep. So then the next sketch he's in, he plays Don Draper, and he plays him straight in a sketch where they're doing Mad Men. And they even have John Slattery and Elizabeth Moss show up, and they get to be funny, but like he doesn't get to do anything funny in the sketch. He's just like reacting to the crazy persons who are like pitching something to him. And then Fred Armisen does Obama and has a variety show. They let John Hamm do a Kennedy impression but it doesn't go anywhere. He literally does a line before he's interrupted by Daryl Hammond's Clinton jumping out in front of him. He does a sketch about Don Draper's guide to picking up women, and he does get to do some jokes, but they're all revolved around sex, right? Like, they're sort of playing up his sex symbol thing. This is, like, one of the last sketches of the show. He gets to do John Ham's John Ham, <laughs> which is a ham that you eat in the bathroom. <laughs> And he absolutely nails it, but it's like the second to last sketch of the show. And then the last sketch of the show, he plays John Finger, who's running for office in Butts, New York. And he says they need a finger in Butts. He says that loving Butts is a tradition in his family. He's going to stop the crack cocaine saying he'll lick the crack in Butts. Uh, He does a third ad and goes with his mother's maiden name, Dildo. He says they should put a dildo in Butts. So these are his last two sketches. So I think what the Saturday Night Live does is to the majority of the people who watch it, they don't change their opinion of John Hamm at all. They're like leading man, sexy guy. They don't really see the comedy part, but he gets those last two sketches wedged in. And I think the people on SNL get to see that. And so I think like this is kind of, it's really a good encapsulation of his career is that all these people in comedy see that he's good at comedy. And so they keep putting him in stuff, but he never gets big stuff stuff right he's always wedged at the end of the episode or whatever it comes in the last two episodes yeah Yeah. after that he does the town and he shows off his attributes for Mad Men. basically he's a cop but he's kind of a sexy cop and he's he's playing it straight and he's going after ben affleck and that and it rejuvenates ben affleck's career and this is like the height of john ham's career right like he's on Mad Men, and he's got the town which is up for oscars like he's never going to be bigger than at this moment it's kind of his apex then he hosts snl two more times he just kills it in both episodes I, I watched all three of them to sort of prepare but at this point i think he is so solidified as like this leading man then he plays Kristen wiggs asshole boyfriend and bridesmaids he's hysterical but the entire joke around his character is that he can get away with being a dick because he's so attractive right they're going yeah. back to that well of like playing to his hype um, he plays Dr. Drew Baird in seven episodes of 30 Rock. He gets to fulfill the comic promise that he showed in the SNL stuff and gets to do a bunch of cameos for it. Of course, one of them is kind of controversial because I think he wears blackface in one of them. So I think it was an East Coast and a West Coast oh, version. Yeah, it's, and they cut it off dude, for the West it's Coast. it's really funny, though. <laughs> I understand it's not appropriate. Right. It's a joke of like um, it was supposed to be a show an old timey show about two black people yes. and the studio. And so they're making fun of like Amos and Andy and the studio couldn't handle it having two black leads so they put John Hamm in blackface <laughs> and he's playing off of Tracy Morgan who is being like this very serious black actor that's like my my sir I was a Tuskegee airman you know and then the guy's just like well slap me in the face and you know doing the black voice real hard and like just going for it and it's pretty funny but again I understand why it's inappropriate right it's still really funny though 
So that was for their 30 Rock live show that they did. So they did a live show on the East Coast in the Central Time Zone, and then they did a second one that ran concurrently in the Pacific and I Mountain mean, Time Zones. In, and they cut that part of it from in one of the, the live West episodes. Coast. There's a character that uh, Chris Parnell plays, Doctor Leo's. Pachimin, Space Dr. Man. Spaceman. <laughs> yeah. And at one point he's like, hello, everybody. I'm known Nazi doctor like Leo Spachimin. And then he's like, hey, I don't care if you don't, if you edit. I want him to know. I want everyone to know. <laughs> it's a hilarious joke, but he's also, it's a joke about being a proud Nazi. You know, that's, how is that any more inappropriate? I don't know, man. It's I don't want to like legislate. Like, I'll be honest, the John you know Hamm thing made me laugh too, and I know it's not appropriate. It's not but appropriate, it made me laugh. but it's funny. And uh, like, we draw the lines arbitrarily, and uh, it's just up to everybody if they want to. I mean, I don't draw them arbitrarily. I, they get drawn, and then I they like get decide drawn whether by to step society. over them or not. Yeah. Every line that gets drawn is being drawn by a unique set of circumstances and rules that are yeah. based on those circumstances. That's all I'm saying. So it's never the same way twice. And you can't I mean, really expect the same. How is that any different like than Always Sunny in Philadelphia, the Lethal Weapon yeah, or, 5 and 6? Where... Dude, I'll be honest, man. Even though I laugh at it, it, it I know it's wrong. Yeah. And, no, like, it's it makes wrong. Me we knew, super and we knew and that And I do those... feel like it goes over the line even for no, It's Always Sunny. We knew yeah. that it was wrong when it came out. Yeah. Not like now. Now we know it's wrong. No. When that aired, we no, were like, everybody this is on the line if not over the line like there, we knew it was there are the certain line. people that get a pass they just get a pass because they've been around long enough doing like inappropriate comedy long enough and also and those people that they are, are <laughs> they're like matt stone and trey parker get yeah. away with it uh howard stern gets away with it and it's always sunny in philadelphia gets away with it I, there might be a bigger list but i feel like that, well sarah silverman has completely changed her act She's also like, yeah, she's grown as a person. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. get away with it anymore because she's completely changed her act. She so it's, she's not anymore. trying to get away with it. Yeah. I, do, I honestly do not know whether she'd be able to get away with it or not. It's hard to say. But I think she did get away with it. Oh, yeah. Everybody got away with it who wanted to. <laughs> like for a long time. It's just been the last couple of years. Chang got away with it. Or uh, uh, Ken Jeong. Yeah, although whether that was written for him or not, I have no idea. All right, we need to <laughs> anyway, get back to this back John Hamm thing. Yeah, ba John basically Hamm. he does bit parts and comedies from then on. After Mad Men's done, he just yeah, like unbreakable uh, Kimmy Schmidt. Like he's a big yes. character. Like he's a character that's important, but he only shows up in maybe a third of the episodes. Right uh, it's, at best. Yeah, it's definitely like a reoccurring guest. Yeah. So we know where he's at now. You know, like he's an invincible, and he's doing the voice, and he's fucking killing it like doing uh, this little tiny part episodes. yeah tiny yeah part. but he's Cameo. he's funny in it like <laughs> he makes it work uh using some parks and rec he's he's done all sorts of stuff since then so let's put a steve carell nose on him he doesn't have a career yeah that's kind of what i fell yeah. on too like i i think he's very not funny close handsome ham wins because he even when he's being funny, a lot of the jokes are based around how handsome he is. Yeah, and I don't like, think it's fair though, because that's what gets handed to him. But it's funny; he's the one writing half of those jokes. But Thirty like, Rock is about how he's an idiot, but he is successful because he's so handsome. But I, even like an Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, part of the joke is because he is a really charismatic guy that 
kidnaps women and forces them into the bunker. He's still pretty likable, even though he does really awful, off like extremely awful shit. Like it's like bridesmaids. He yeah. gets to be a dick because he's so handsome. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's got chops and I think he's got chops enough where he should work, but I just don't see him breaking out if he's not handsome. It's so hard to break out. The odds of breaking out are so tiny. And you look at all the stuff he did before he broke out, even being handsome. And like Mad Men was just, I mean, that was a fucking meteor. That was such luck that that even happened. AMC had never even done a show before. Like they were just he did rerunning old episodes movies. of The Division. Right, but who the Whatever fuck the knows hell The Division? Is. Right. Still 66 <laughs> episodes. That's a lot of episodes of one show to do. Yeah, I'm just also, saying like he was working but he didn't like break out. His very you know? first credited role was Gorgeous Guy at Bar on Ally McBeal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds right. The first thing he ever did. Gorgeous <laughs> Guy at Bar. He was literally handsomeness was the sole criteria of the character that he was inhabiting. His first role ever, whether it be television or film, gorgeous guy at bar. Looks are what made his entire career. So, do you agree on this? Do you think it's just He's like more than do you his think looks. he would be able no, to, I, to break out without looks? Like I, with the Steve Carell nose, can he break out? <sighs> I'm really into that nose. If you take Steve Carell's nose off of his face and put John Hamm's nose, Steve Carell's a pretty handsome guy. He is. Think about it for a second. Just think about it. He has all the features that would make him super attractive, but he's got that giant nose, so nobody thinks about him that way. I don't think he's unattractive. But you don't think of him as attractive. Because I heard the he way does, you worded that. He does gross <laughs> stuff that make that is ruins it for me. Because like. he's got a giant nose. He has to. <laughs> <laughs> like he had to go down comedy and then he gets to do dramas as long as they're like. Have you seen Have his a dark wife, comedy though? edge. She is. Well, money talks, man. What's her name? <laughs> I forget her name. Wow. She was in Dodgeball. She was the romantic. It's not. Isn't he married Rangers. to Nancy Walls? No, that's. Uh, oh, are you saying you're saying Steve Carell? Aren't yeah, you? yeah. I was thinking of Ben Stiller. My bad. Oh no, no, no. I'm not talking about no. Ben Stiller. Yeah, does Ben that... Stiller have a career if he's not short? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, as a short person, I he, think it real offensive. <laughs> he's a second generation star. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. generational. Yeah, Ham did all... not have that luxury, but he had no. the luxury of being super attractive. All right, so I think we found our answer, right? Like, yeah. easy, handsome Ham, too easy. But let me ask you a question: like, waste of a good video drone. Let's let's say that like he does. <laughs> we rented this for the say... <laughs> entire night, and we finished the fight in five minutes. I'm, I'm not even done, and it has been far from five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> the fight itself was over in five minutes. <laughs> let's say let's out. say he has that Steve Carell nose again, and he does and somehow. David Cronenberg he does directed. somehow break out and like gets to do like Steve Carell's <laughs> career, for example. Do you think Ham is happier with that, or do you think he's happier with like having been an iconic role in like Mad Men or something like that? He's happy with his Mad Men money. I think I, I think he would be happier with Carell's career. I, I really think do. He's the most proud of his comedy stuff. Probably. Yeah, I agree. It's probably where he had the most fun. It seems like he keeps going back to comedy because that's what he wants to do. Like, I think he's in a position where he can turn down things. I think he's like friends with these people now. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's your friend. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. Follow us or reach out on Instagram at NSF underscore network, Facebook's Not Safe for Network page, or email Not Safe for Network podcast at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. Subscribe to all the podcasts on our network. Season 3 of Movies with Wrestlers has Eric and Connor answering the question on everyone's mind. Who's better, The Rock or John Cena? Every week, a cosmic void has Jeremiah and Biggs deconstructing influential movies. Not Safe for Network examines the zeitgeist through rabbit holes, deep dives, interviews, and pop culture battles weekly. And if you need some classic TV talk, catch up on the previous three seasons of In Syndication.